0: Welcome to the Healthy Doctor Podcast, where we host conversations about physician well being. I'm Dr. Steve Sartori, Director of the Center for Well Being at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Good relationships are a key to thriving, and relational stress contributes to burnout. Managing our relationships well is challenging and requires wisdom. To help us with this task, I have asked Ken Sandy to join me on this episode. Ken is the founder of Peacemaker Ministries and Relational Wisdom 360. Trained as an engineer, lawyer, and mediator, Ken has conciliated hundreds of family, business, church, and legal conflicts. As president of RW360, he now focuses on teaching people how to build strong relationships in the family, church, and workplace. Ken teaches internationally and is the author of numerous books, articles, and training resources Including The Peacemaker, which has sold over 500,000 copies in 17 languages. He is a certified Christian conciliator, an editorial advisor for Christianity Today, a certified relational wisdom instructor, and an emotional intelligence certified instructor. He and his wife Corlette have two adult children and three grandchildren and love to hike and ski in the mountains near their home in Billings, Montana. Listen in as I talk with Ken about relational wisdom. Well, Ken, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Healthy Doctor Podcast. Great to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Many listeners know you as the founder of Peacemaker Ministries and author of the book, The Peacemaker. And now you've been talking about a topic called relational wisdom. And I'm wondering what prompted this uh, redirection or change of focus?
1: Well, I had 30 incredibly wonderful years of Peacemaker Ministries. Just a great team, and God just was doing wonderful things through that. But in 2012, after 30 years of Resolving conflicts, I decided I'd rather switch my focus to preventing conflicts, to paraphrase an old adage from a lawyer's perspective, an ounce of prevention is worth about $100,000 of legal fees. And in in so many cases, Steve, that we mediated, we we sort of backed the the storyline up to sort of see how people got where they are. And in so many of those cases, you could identify just specific relational choices, relational weaknesses the parties had that brought them to a point of a lawsuit, a church split, a divorce, what have you. So our focus now is how do we help people develop relational skills that will prevent conflict by developing stronger relationships?
0: Very good. You sound like a doctor talking here. We're always talking prevention rather than trying to do something after the problem hits. So I really think you're on to a better approach.
1: I hadn't thought of that, but that's a perfect analogy. Good doctors would much rather prevent an illness or injury than to repair it.
0: Absolutely. Well, when you talk about this prevention and you talk about being proactive and getting on the front end of this, uh, how would you define this uh, term you use, relational wisdom?
1: Well, relational wisdom in its simplest form is basically living out Jesus' command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul— and love your neighbors yourself. That's, that's all about relationship. If you want a more technical definition, uh, you could define relational wisdom as your ability to discern emotions, interests, and abilities in yourself and others, to interpret that information in light of God's Word, and to use those insights to manage your responses and your relationships successfully. So you take in information, you evaluate it properly, and then you use that information to engage other people in a successful way. Hmm. Another way to put it, when I often describe it to people, is that relational wisdom can be thought of as a God-centered, biblically grounded, gospel-driven form of emotional intelligence.
0: That's a term we hear a lot of, emotional intelligence, and I like that thought about it being relational in the sense of loving God, loving yourself, loving your neighbor, and being discerning, and then being able to interpret. Sounds like it doesn't always come natural. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's like the piano. Everybody has a natural ability to tap down on keys on a keyboard, but you don't get good at it unless you practice. In fact, practicing with a good instructor will even speed the progress. So it is something, we all have a natural ability for relationships. Some are more gifted in certain areas than others but all of us can improve uh, our relational skills if we want to.
0: So if we learn about this relational wisdom and we grow in it and practice it, uh, how will we know that we're improving or what impact will it actually have in our lives?
1: Well, the we, we don't yet have an evaluative tool. That's one of our priorities for the next uh, 12 months is to develop some good uh, evaluations where we can measure where we are with these skills today and then actually track our progress. But today, the best way is to, you know, basically examine your your relationships. That's a lot of what our training does. It helps people go through and really examine their relationships, their empathy, compassion, communication skills, how they deal with conflict, all those things. And then also seeking feedback from those people who know us the best and love us enough to tell us the truth. So there's an accountability and approachability dynamic this of, of involving other people to help us see, you know, how are we doing? Where are we strong? Where are we weak? And what specific skills do we want to focus on, you know, over the next 30 days to really raise our relational wisdom uh, capacity.
0: So you said that the difference between relational wisdom, it's really sort of like emotional intelligence, but uh, with a biblical perspective.
1: Yeah, that'd be, that'd be the main thing. We, we incorporate a lot of the excellent neurological, hormonology, of uh, emotional intelligence. There's, there's tremendous uh, insights that uh, scientists, psychologists, neurologists have gained in the last uh, you know few decades. Uh, in fact, Dan Goldman's books are required reading for our instructors. There's a lot of valuable insights. But I, I'm not aware of any you know, really good book on emotional intelligence that has a solid biblical worldview behind it. So you're, you're missing out some pretty important things. The doctrine of God, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of redemption. All of those things have a huge effect on our personal growth, how we manage ourselves, and how we relate to other people. So we take the best of the emotional intelligence field, and then we run it through a biblical grid, bringing in the essential doctrines of grace and sanctification to help people grow in ways that really are fulfilling God's purpose in us, to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And, of course, he was the most highly relational, the most emotionally intelligent that's ever walked the face of the earth.
0: So is there a difference between a Christian and perhaps a non-Christian with their capacity, their ability to realize this skill of relational wisdom?
1: You know, what I've found over the years, Steve, is there are some people who are not Christians, who do not acknowledge God or confess Christ, who actually are more relationally wise, more compassionate, more empathetic, better communicators than some Christians. So just because someone's not a Christian doesn't mean they can't that they don't have this God given capacity. Because everyone, every person is made in the image of God, and by definition, we have this capacity for relationship. So I always I'm, I'm always happy to learn from non Christians who I see develop who've developed you know good relational skills and, and to follow their example, but. As a Christian, we have something else going for us, which is the gospel itself, which is the message of redemption, of sanctification, of deliverance, forgiveness of sin, and then deliverance from sin, which is not only a should be a tremendous source of motivation, driving us to live up to the calling we receive, but there's a power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not just using things I've learned in a seminar to change, I'm drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit, of prayer, the fellowship of the church, the wisdom of Scripture. We've got a lot more uh, tools and resources to bring to bear as we change and grow. So you would hope, uh, ideally, that Christians would be in any given community or in an office, anywhere you have, that the Christians would stand out for their relational skills. That's really, if we're living up to our calling, appropriating all the resources available to us, we would be living up to it. In fact, I just quickly add, that's what happened to me when I was I was an engineer in the medical research and development field, and I was working with other engineers who were believers. And I saw the higher quality of their relational skills. That's what drew me to the church and drew me to Christ hmm. you know, over over thirty years ago.
0: Yeah, it would seem to me that uh, if if one of the ends for our lives is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ as Christians, that God would then give us the equipment and give us the opportunity to do just that, that he would not leave us void of the resources to grow into that.
1: Absolutely true. But the sad thing is the resources are right there in front of us, and many people simply don't choose to Mm -hmm. use them. Just for example, the Bible itself is virtually every verse in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is speaking to one of the three major areas of relational wisdom, God awareness, self-awareness, and other awareness. How do we you know, relate to God, understand and relate to God? How do we understand and manage ourselves? How do we understand and love our neighbors? And every verse in the Bible has to do with one of those three areas. And yet many Christians, their Bibles either collect dust, or when they read it, it's just superficial. They go through it, and they, they don't appreciate and get the benefit from
0: it. And certainly for us in healthcare, as we relate to so many people on a regular basis, I think of every patient interaction we have, there are training programs to help us with empathetics, okay, or how to seek to understand our patients better. Sounds like growing in relational wisdom would help us with that.
1: Well, it would be absolutely crucial and both in terms of serving people better but also dealing with the stress. Uh, burnout is a huge problem, of course, in the uh, health, health uh, field today. Doctors and nurses are under so much pressure, and a lot of them just giving up on that field just because of the stress. And a lot of this has to do with their relational capacity to read themselves, to understand, you know, when they are getting stressed out, how to, how to cope with that stress, how to deal with um, you know, difficult relationships in the workplace. There's a lot of ways we can address that stress and avoid burnout. But again, these are skills that need to be learned and practiced.
0: Yeah, it's a very critical thing. You're right. How do we manage ourselves? How do we manage our relationships? How do we manage the purpose, the meaning, the transcendence piece of how we think about life and relate to God if we're Christians? And you're right, those are key pieces to avoiding or preventing burnout or managing it if it shows up on our radar screen. Another piece in the medical literature, at least in the healthcare experience, is about you know how do doctors or clinical people grow in their leadership skills and their leadership capacity, and the literature I read says it's really not about your IQ, it's about your EQ. It's about your relational capacity that drives performance in the leadership arena.
1: Absolutely. That's so true, Steve. In fact, in most professions, IQ... It, provides very little indication of success in a a particular profession. There may be be exceptions if you're working down on some nuclear physics problem. Maybe you've got to have all that IQ. But in most professions, uh, even if you have a very high IQ, IQ, if you don't have good relational skills, the soft skills, very often your your career is going to stagnate or even just fail altogether. And there's people who may not have gotten straight A's or graduated at the top of their class in med school or law school or engineering, who go on to be terrific professionals because of their exceptional relational skills.
0: Yeah, we've seen that over and over again. I'm sure you see that in the legal profession. I see it in the medical profession, and it is so true. And what do patients perceive about their doctors? It's really about their relational skills more than their technical skills.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is especially vital for Christians because, when you're working, you know, as a nurse, as a technician, as a a doctor in a hospital or clinic, certainly delivering quality medical care is a very high priority, but it is also loving people. It is is sensing their emotional needs. I mean, there's so many issues that come up when people are facing serious illness, things like that, where Christians have the opportunity to engage in a way that encourages them and sometimes opens a door to share Christ. And as much as curing their cancer is helpful, leading them to Christ for eternal life is infinitely more important. And that's going to come very often through the relationship and the sensitivity and the communication that we have as Christians.
0: Well, doctors typically tend to comment or complain that their time is not what it once was. We have electronic records. We have multiple distractions. We have a declining amount of time per patient to really relate. And I trust that relational wisdom... The very word relational requires time. Relationships require time.
1: Well, certainly in many situations they do. And and I know that medical people are under a lot of pressure, just keep going from room to room. But I can tell you this, there can be one sentence, one tone of voice, one look, one touch in a difficult situation that can still make a difference in someone's Mm -hmm. life. So you, you don't have to have an hour. If you're a highly relational person, Number 1 is just to sense. In fact, I had a appointment with uh, a doctor the other day, and I just appreciated it. I shared something with her and she clearly hit the pause button in our conversation medically and just we just had a wonderful conversation and I I knew she was going to be, you know, 5 minutes late getting in the next uh, patient. Boy, did I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, makes a big big difference and that relationship is so much a big part of the healing. Process trust between a doctor and a patient, yeah?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, you know, as you know, most doctors or many doctors aren't always uh, the most accomplished in this skill of relational wisdom. Uh, you know, people always like a doctor with a good bedside manner or a good relational capacity, but... They really don't teach us too much about this in medical school, Ken. It's not sort of uh, drilled into us. So I'm wondering if maybe we should incorporate that into our curriculum.
1: Well, it's interesting. If you Google EI, uh, emotional intelligence, in medical school, I think what you'll find is a growing number of schools are using this as part of their selection criteria because they're finding out that this really does play a key role in predicting success, even as a doctor, a nurse, or technician, whatever your field is. So there, there's some med schools now that that's a big part of their selection process. Mm. But even even those that haven't emphasized it, it's one of the reasons there's a group like ours out here is serving people in the medical profession who, whether they're just starting out or they've been in it for 10 or 15 years, that they can, they can stop and just say, you know, I'd really like to develop this God-given capacity or empathy. I'd like to re- learn how to read people's body language, to read the look in someone's eye, even notice how someone walks across the room differently, can communicate incredible information. But again, that's something we, we need to learn, we need to practice. And no matter how long people have been in, in the practice of medicine, they can improve those skills.
0: Yeah, doctors are very highly trained to observe certain sets of things when it comes to the physical examination. But when it comes to the relational examination, not so much.
1: That's really true. Yeah. And, and as you know, a lot of what we communicate is, is not directly in, in you know, precise words. It, for example, if you if you talk to somebody and say, how are you today? And they go, oh, I'm okay. That's one thing. If they say, oh, I'm okay, that little pause changes the sentence. It really says, I'm not okay. And yet people don't come right out and say that because they're afraid that the other person may not care, may not be interested. So we drop little hints. Mm. And that's one thing I notice as a mediator, Uh, as a church elder, people drop hints. And I find this especially with men. Men have a hard time coming right out and saying, I've got a problem, and I don't know what to do with it, and I need help. That's really hard for a lot of men to do. So they'll drop hints, subtle change of voice, uh, just a few words, something very subtle, but we can pick up on those things. And, Steve, it was an attorney who picked up on that uh, with me years ago. I just graduated from law school, and I was in a difficult situation and an attorney who never met just saw a distressed look on my face at a at a conference, came over to me and just said, Are you okay? And the conversation took place, changed the course of my life. Hmm. And all he did was pick up on an expression, a facial expression, of distress and uncertainty.
0: Wow if any of us could do that for our patients or our colleagues who are hurting. And you're right, these collegial conversations that we have where someone gives you a little possibility of getting into the fact that they're not really quite all right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Picking up on that. yeah,
1: just, just to give you a real example, a friend of mine lost his job and we were chatting. And I just say, Gary, how do you feel about this? He said, oh, I'm, I'm sure God will provide for me. Mm. And I looked at him from minute, and I said, I know that's what you believe. How do you feel? Mm. And you looked at me for a minute like, like you know, a whole different question. And his shoulders came down, his voice changed, said, Ken, I'm scared. <laughs> so his first answer was sort of the acceptable Christian answer, I know God will take care of me. And we put on this face with each other, where we give the acceptable, appropriate answer, when really there's something so much deeper going on inside of us. But we need to learn how to draw that out. It's one of the things the Bible says, a man... Of wisdom draws out the deep waters, the mm. deep emotions and concerns of other people. That's, that's real love.
0: Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think we're afraid to go deeper because uh, maybe we're going to be, how do I say, spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes in a conversation <laughs> and we're on our way somewhere. But nonetheless, uh, doctors are afraid to open the door to patients sometimes. Even when they detect that, they either see it and ignore it, uh, move right on by, but uh, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to help us be bold and go there.
1: Yeah, and part of it is got to remember who your boss is. Mm. And I know when you're working in a clinic, and I, I see this here in, in my hometown, the clinic is they're obviously giving the, the doctor's billable hours quotas just like attorneys have had for years, but I think at times we still need to say, okay, who am I really working for? I'm working for the Lord, and Again, it doesn't take an hour-long conversation to give someone a gentle word of encouragement. just something to encourage them, lift their spirits, or point them to something, a resource that they can look at that might address some of those concerns.
0: Who am I working for? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these are some practical skills, and I'm thinking, okay, if medical schools are maybe looking at emotional intelligence and maybe job interviews in the future, may be looking at emotional intelligence, not just my MCAT scores or my grades in medical school or my performance on my uh, board exam, then what do I do as a doctor or maybe even a pre-medical student? When, when's the right place to jump in and start learning about this?
1: Age two is where I
0: recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I missed my window. <laughs> That's,
1: right. That's the age where the brain is developed Enough, we can start to develop the capacity for empathy. And that's a neurological process. It's often called mirror neurons, that you look at someone else, you see them experiencing something either pleasant or unpleasant, and you start to realize, hey, they're experiencing something that I've felt, and yet we're two separate people, yet I can respond to them and engage them. And that's as my children got married and had kids. That's what I was encouraging them to do, is those grandchildren got to be two. This is where you can really do it but it's a lifelong process. That's what's really beautiful about Steve. Hmm. So even though, yes, you should, we should do this with our children, you know, infants, teenagers, et cetera. But even as we get into college, you know, a lot of the stress in college today, students have is relational. I mean, they're under so much pressure for performance and all the relational things, conflicting values, the, the temptations. There's enormous relational stress in college. Then you move on to, to med school and the stress just gets, you know, ratcheted up another octave. Um, so, anywhere in there to start learning these things is appropriate. And even we're working with a lot of doctors and nurses now, uh, even, for example, clinics that want to bring in relational wisdom training for their entire staff mm-hmm. so they can actually expose not only the doctors and nurses, the technicians, the sanitation crew, the maintenance department, everybody can benefit from this training. Uh, Everybody can. So you -hmm. you can do organization-wide training to lift the relational abilities of an entire
0: office. Wow. You know, as we're nearing the close of our time here, I think there are many who are going to be saying, you mean you can actually practically help me with this? You can help my office staff? And if so... How and how do, I, how do I do this, who do I contact, what am I going to do next?
1: Well, let me give you a quick overview, then I'll point people to our website for much more detail. We provide basically three avenues for, for people to learn these skills. We've got live seminars, we do full-day seminars, uh, staff retreats for a weekend, any number of venues, or a half-hour introduction to the management team of a, of a hospital or clinic. We also provide online training, web-based training, it's interactive video uh, teaching, demonstration videos, and then a lot of applications, specific training on how do you apply this in, in the work context, in the marriage, in parenting, et cetera, even in politics with all the stress we've got today. And so people can go through that online course, and we've just released a secular version of our training. We call it Values-Based Relational Wisdom. And this has completely opened the door for us now that we can go in To a hospital or a clinic or a law firm or wherever we want to go in and offer the training and typically there's a a Christian business owner or manager that invites us in. They're sensitive. We can't overtly proselytize so we'll teach our values-based material to the staff but then the owner of the business will turn around and say, listen, I want everyone in our organization to have the benefit of this training so I bought access codes for everyone in our staff and they've got it available in both a Christian version and in a secular or values-based version, and you're free to choose which one you want. So we're we're not cramming religion down anyone's throat, but we're giving them the opportunity. And then the way we've structured those courses, it's sort of like the old game, shoots and Ladders, where you would slide back and forth. There's a number of connections between the courses where people in both courses have the opportunity to see some of the material in the other course, and that's in, in one direction, obviously gives people in the secular course the opportunity to encounter the gospel. But it's in a way they choose. They decide to, to look at that material. Hmm. So the third avenue we've got is DVD material. So some people will invite um, coworkers, say, hey, once a week about us having you know brown bag lunch, and we'll watch a 30-minute DVD on relational wisdom and talk about it. So that's where a, a Christian in a secular place and just invite coworkers to come and start a conversation about these things. And of course, with medical people, one thing that's important is most of them need continuing education to maintain their, their licenses. And we are now getting certification with a number of the medical certifying organizations. So this also satisfies CEUs.
0: That sounds uh, fantastic. So, practically, then, what, what do I do to access this?
1: What I would suggest is people simply come to our website. And it's uh, simply rw360.org. They can just put in rw360, and they'll come to the, they'll find the URL, and they can get an introduction to relational wisdom with some of the stuff on the front page. And then there's a link that just says training options, mm-hmm. and a very te- detailed discussion how to bring it into a workplace, how to live this out individually, how to use it for continuing education, professional certification. And even how people can turn around and teach it themselves, they can moderate study groups, they can become instructors, they can just pass this on. And that's how you really grow in something is teach it to someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, very good. Anything else you'd like to tell our listeners?
1: Well, one thing I request is people, if this is something of interest to them, is we are compiling what we call life application modules in a wide variety of, of venues, law enforcement, engineering. Uh, military, whatever, but we really want to develop some specific in the area of healthcare. So if if people who go through the training want to email to us scenarios or questions that would be relevant, you know, what do you do when X, Y, and Z, or how do you handle A, B, and C, we are putting those together in these modules so that when medical people go through it, they'll have some real practical, real-life discussion questions and case studies they can use as part of their training and to talk about with colleagues, uh, you know, this all sounds good, but what do you do when this happens? And that's when the rubber really meets the road. And we want to compile, you know, dozens of those questions and scenarios for people in the healthcare field. So if any of your people want to submit some of those questions to us, help us build that module, we would deeply appreciate
0: mm. it. Well, very good. It sounds like that's where real learning can really occur when we uh, get together. We discuss cases. That's what doctors do. We talk about these cases and what would you do and what would you do and what's the important thing to learn here. And it's a great way to build relationships among our colleagues and ourselves and grow in relational wisdom all at the same time. Absolutely. Well, very good. Well, Ken, I really deeply appreciate you being with me today. And I know that our listeners will gain from it as well. And I really appreciate that you're delving into this area, and I appreciate that you've moved into the preventive arena now, so that we can hopefully save some money on legal fees and some other things, and learn how to relate better. Amen, Steve. Yeah. All right. And
1: that's a lot coming from an attorney.
0: Yeah, that's right. They're always <laughs> looking for the billable hour and whatever. You're going I hope. I hope you can still make a living doing this, uh, or at least make a, make an earning that's appropriate. <laughs>
1: we, we've got no no shortage of work. That's for sure. Well. Thank
0: you. Very good. All right, thanks brother.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks to Ken, I now have a better understanding of relational wisdom and the benefits of growing this skill. Life is about relationships, relationships with God, relationships with ourself, and relationships with others. If you want to find out more, visit rw360.org. At the CMDA Center for Well-being, we help healthcare professionals align with God, optimize well-being and maximize influence. For more information, visit cmda.org/wellbeing. If you are interested in hosting a well-being retreat or need a speaker for your meeting or event, email well-being at cmda.org if you want help managing burnout, navigating change or transition, or growing your leadership skills, a CMDA coach can help. Visit cmda.org slash coaching. I invite you to come to Cannon Beach, Oregon, January 23 through 26 for the West Coast Conference where our team at the Center for Well-Being will be delivering several presentations addressing well-being for healthcare professionals. Consider arriving a couple of days early for a coach training course, January 22 and 23. This training will equip you with the mindset and skills to help people change without giving them advice. You will love this highly interactive training. Visit cmda.org slash events for more information. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Healthy Doctor. Tune in again next month and until then, care for yourself as you care for others. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any
1: political party or candidate.